First Church Charlotte. I've been going in a different direction tonight. We're finished with Paul. Um, I figured like the Lord was pulling me in this direction uh, for quite some time, and I've been trying to figure out a way to to, to teach on this topic, um, which um, is not as easy as it sounds. It's it's a topic that for the the child of God, for the Christian, someone that's already walking the faith can sound easy to teach on but for a lot of our people that are you know relatively new to the faith meaning that they're not biblical scholars uh, they, they haven't been saved 20 30 40 50 years um, it does require a bit of dissecting and so that's what i hope to do tonight just kind of share generously about the holy spirit so that's where we're going to be talking tonight um, well, well, let's see. All right. My my topic tonight is the Holy Spirit is the heart changer. The Holy Spirit changes the heart, changes the heart. I'm taking you to the book of Zechariah. I don't know how many times you've read from that book of Zechariah, but he's a, he's a, he's a beautiful uh, prophet that speaks very clearly to us. And I want to take my text from chapter four. I'll read one verse of scripture, Zechariah four, verse six. So he said to me, this is the fifth vision, the fifth vision that God gave to Zerubbabel, to, uh, to Zechariah, uh, which he communicated to Zerubbabel. So he said to me, quote, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Many of you can quote that by heart. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And what I really want to emphasize tonight is that what we can't do, the Lord can do. The Holy Spirit is able to do things well beyond our capability. The Bible says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, 1 Corinthians 3 and 19. And there is no amount of human wisdom or intellect or skills sufficient to accomplish the work of God effectively. Therefore, we re repeat, it is not by might, nor by power, or your academic achievements, or your Pentecostal pedigree, your vocational training, or any of your own abilities. But, but Zechariah says, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord, says the Lord of hosts, that we will in fact live fruitful lives in the service of the Lord here on earth by the Spirit of the Lord. So let me be clear tonight. Human might, human power, and strength are not nearly sufficient to accomplish the work of God on earth. As you have heard me say many, many times, I've said it more times than I care to remember, that it takes God to live for God. In other words, it will take the presence, the enablement, and the Holy Spirit in our lives in order for us to fulfill the work of God that God has called us to do here on the earth. That portion of the scripture that says, thy will be done on earth as it in heaven, 
in order for us to really accomplish that, we need the spirit of God. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. 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 You need God to live for God. You need God to live for God. You need God to live for God. You can try and you can live a nice, honest, moral life, but it may not necessarily be pleasing to God. In order to be pleasing to God, you have to be aligned with what the Spirit of God would like for you to do. The one who stimulates all of our revival around the world, whenever you hear a story about God pouring out his spirit, I think it was the other day in a church in Indiana, or in a school in Indiana. Whenever you hear of God pouring out his spirit on a church or a school or in a city, whether it was uh, in the 14th century with the Lutheran um, uh, revolution with uh, Martin Luther, or whether it was in the early 20th century at Azusa Street uh, for the Pentecostal revival. In order for us to be effective in ministry today, the Spirit of God has to be the engine that draws men to follow him. Amen. I'm getting a lot of feedback. Sister Addie, I'm going to mute you, darling. All right. Now, Jesus anticipated his own return to heaven, and he told his disciples that it was good for them that he go, because from heaven he would then send the, the Holy Spirit to be with them, and it would be with them always. John 14 clarifies that. If In fact, if you read John 14 and John 16, um, it puts it like this. It says, quote, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That is, that is how it is put. That's how John put it. The scriptures show that the Holy Spirit at work to make every aspect of our lives effective for God is what we're seeking. We want to seek the Holy Spirit working actively in our lives, not passively, but actively. So I want to give you some scripture to support that. The first one is, is in Ezekiel 36, 26, quote, I will give you a new heart, he writes, and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my laws and be careful to keep my, my laws. So it is the Lord that's making these decisions. You know, the Bible says that no one cometh to God unless he draws them to him. And I remember when I finally gave my life over to the Lord, it had been many, many years that the Lord was trying to get me to come in to the church. And, and the, his efforts were tireless, right? Because my mom was praying, my grandmother was praying, right? Um, my name was constantly being presented before the Lord. I know that to be the case because I, I heard them praying for me. 
but 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 God's efforts, or may, maybe I should put it this way: my efforts were not aligned with God's, right? You know, with what I was doing in my life at the time. So so I resisted. I didn't quite. Maybe I didn't understand it altogether. But in 1975, when I was only 11, I remember the Lord pricked me and I got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord was drawing me. I was only 11. I'm still a young man, right? The Lord was drawing me, you know, seeking to pierce my heart of stone with an awareness of God's love and an awareness of God's grace. And he finally succeeded in August of 1975 when, when I got baptized at the age of 11. I made that decision. Um, there was some confusion there. My sister was going to get baptized, and I was convinced that I was not going to be left behind. Uh, I don't know if that were the case with any of you, but I decided that that night that I was going to get baptized. But many, many years later, Jesus, in his relentless pursuit of my soul, filled me with the Holy Spirit when I was attending church in New York at uh, 531 East 3rd Street. It was the Spirit of God who had been working upon my stony heart all those years. And he removed my hard heart and put his spirit in me and gave me a heart of flesh. And it moved me to begin this journey, this almost 40 years journey of loving and serving the Lord. And he, he quit, quickly in New York, quickly led me into ministry in my previous church in New York. Um, then he led me to meet Sister Venice, and that was beautiful. And then he led me to come to New York, uh, to North Carolina rather. And then here he ushered me into ministry again. And I never looked back. All along it was the Spirit of God drawing me, leading me, directing me to himself to himself so i have to ask you a question i want you to think about this for a minute have you ever been trying to help a family member come to the lord maybe a close friend or an adult child or maybe a younger child turn their attention to the lord and you've encountered hardness or resistance at every conversation Here's what I recommend. I, I humbly ask that you pray for, for the Lord to cause his spirit to soften that person's heart. Remember, what man cannot do, pretty easy for God to do. It's not by might, human might, nor by power, human power, but by my spirit, the Lord's spirit says the Lord. The Lord is, he is the changer of hearts, no matter how hard the heart is. If you remember the hardened heart of Pharaoh, the Lord worked upon his heart and then he finally let God's people go to leave Egypt. God will work in those hard-hearted situations. My second verse of scripture I want to take you to is John 3, 5 through 7. This is a familiar passage. Many of you know this. Truly, truly, I tell you, he writes, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit, big spirit, gives birth to our spirit, little spirit. And then he says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So this notion of being born again is once again is accomplished by the spirit of God, right? 
words of supreme importance and with eternal consequence. These are words that will flow through life and eternity. You must be born again. Jesus said that without a birth of the Spirit, no one will enter the kingdom of God. If you don't have the Spirit of God in your heart, or maybe you're not sure, Maybe you're not sure. For many years, I know people were just were not sure that they they have the spirit of God in their hearts. They may have they may have met him briefly at an altar, and perhaps produced stammering lips and another tongue. <laughs> but if you truly have the spirit of God in your heart, I I am convinced that eventually God will convince you that He is with you. You will know. And it may take a little while for your faith to come up, right? It may take a little while for your faith to inch up to where God wants it to be. But it's very, very important. We must have the Spirit of God guiding us and leading us through this wicked world. Yeah, I said it. It's evil. If you listen to the politics of the day, if, God forbid, you watch any television at all, or stream any kind of programming on the various streaming services, you will notice that this is an evil day. And so we must be led of the Spirit. Come on, somebody. We must be led by the Spirit. Watch this, not that. Go here, not there. Talk to these kinds of people, not those kinds of people. Remember, we're not, we're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace through faith. So we must have faith in God that he's able to complete that work that he has begun in it, in us. Paul, Paul said it well in his conversation with Titus, one of his ministers. He said, quote, reading from Titus 3.5, he says, he saved us not because of the righteousness that we have done, but by of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5. So it's nothing that we have done. It is all him. It is all him that he has, in fact, had mercy on us and saved us through the renewal of our spirit by giving us his spirit. Our entrance into heaven, into this heaven-bound family of God, begins when we come to sincere faith. Let's call it reliance. In Jesus Christ, we repent of our sins. We are baptized in Jesus' name, taking on the name of Jesus. So, so remember now, we are becoming a part of the family of God. Remember, Jesus says, all of heaven and earth are named with that name. So you have to take on the name of Jesus. Uh, he, you, you become part of his, his family. He owns you because he died for you, right? Then receiving his grace and forgiveness with the new birth by receiving the Holy Spirit, that gives you a chance, an opportunity to live with the Lord Jesus Christ forever in heaven. Now, of course, you can forfeit that chance by messing up and walking away. But if God has given you his spirit, you have the the earnest money deposit, as I, I like to say in real estate vernacular, yeah. the earnest money uh, to make your way into heaven. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, darling. And the, the third scripture I want to rehearse for you is that of Acts chapter number one, verse four and five and eight. On one occasion, the Bible says, while he was eating with them, uh, Jesus gave them this command. He says, listen, I don't want you all to leave Jerusalem. I'm putting some of this in my words now. He says, but wait for the gift from my father that he promised, which you have heard me speak about. Because John baptized with water, but in a few days, you all will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And in verse 80 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria until the ends of the earth. Uh, one of the most amazing works of the Spirit in the believer's life is this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit that I'm talking about. Of course, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, the, the, the filling of the Spirit empowers us for ministry, empowers us to be witnesses, empowers us to do the work of God, right? You will receive power, verse 8 says, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and it enables us to be effective ministers, witnesses for Jesus Christ. Again, it is not by might nor by power, but it is this spirit that I'm emphasizing. This the spirit of God, says the Lord of hosts, that you might be able to do mighty works for God. Now, sometimes, and some churches do this, and I know uh, we don't do this, but I've, I know that there are churches that make the Holy Spirit out to be something mysterious, something a little out of this world. And so people make up all kinds of stories about the Holy Spirit. And in truth and in fact, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, if that Spirit dwells in you, shall also quicken your mortal bodies. So even if you die... Even if you die, if you died with the Holy Spirit at the last trump when the Lord returns and the trumpet blows in the skies, if you have the Holy Spirit in you when you died, the Bible says that that spirit will quicken your body and you will rise up first. First Thessalonians 4 tells us that, uh, that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It is the Spirit of God that's going to give you that power. It is the Spirit of God that will enable you to rise from the dead. Come on. The Bible says if that Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. Amen. Shall also give life, if you will, to your mortal body. And so God tells us that, that that is what he promised us, and that is what we will have. Acts 4, um, Acts 2, verse 17 says, in the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He goes on to say, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your men, young men shall see visions, your old men dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out of my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, this scripture says that believers have the privilege of being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. In this context, the, the apostle Peter emphasizes that the spirit of God being poured out on us 
old men, young men, old women, young women, the result of which you will uh, be able to experience such spiritual giftings as visions and dreams, and maybe even the gift of prophecy, all empowered by the Spirit of God being poured out on you. Amen? These are the things that the Lord promises that the Spirit of God will enable uh, in our lives. In other words, being filled with that Spirit opens us up for the opportunity uh, of being operating in an enlarged scope of spiritual gifts and ministries and manifestations. It is only by the Spirit of God and not by might of human ability and not by power of human ability that we could minister in a supernatural realm, but only as the Lord empowers us through his spirit. Amen. The fifth instance that I want to rehearse in your hearing, uh, John chapter number three, verse eight, the wind blows where it lists where it pleases. You hear the sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. So here he says, we don't tell where the wind uh, blows. We don't know where it's going to blow. Neither do we tell God's spirit where to lead. Rather, he is like the wind. He will lead us where he chooses, perfectly manifesting the will of God in the earth through you and me. And that's why it's, it's sometimes amazing to look at the ministries of various individuals, um, how the Lord will take them from here to there. Uh, they will grow at the rate that God will want them to grow. And you, before your very eyes, you could be, you, you are, you're amazed at the transformation of, of your, your friend that you invited to church in a, in a matter of weeks or months, they are transformed into someone that used to be like this. And all of a sudden they are like this. God is transforming. That's the spirit that's doing whatever it pleases with them. The sixth verse of scripture is that which is in Romans eight, verse 26 and seven. The Bible says in the same way that the spirit helps our weaknesses, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Watch this. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through groanings that cannot be uttered. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Uh, let it be known that prayer is, the, is best when directed by the Spirit. Sometimes you, you kneel or you lay in your bed or you sit to pray and, and, and the words can't exactly flow. The, 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 the ideas that you uh, are trying to communicate are not flowing as they ought to. But this verse says, we don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit of God certainly does know. He he is perfectly aware of the will of God and intercedes uh, for us in accordance with that will. And before you know it, if you continue to meditate and focus on the Spirit of God, if you don't get up and run away, if you persist in prayer, you will find that the Lord begins to bring things to your mind. He begins to remind you of those things that you perhaps had forgotten about and promised to pray about. <laughs> And now you can include them in your prayer. So as you enter into times of prayer, right at the onset, I encourage you to open up yourself 
to the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit. You, you, you will feel him uh, guiding your thoughts and words into prayer. That That is the line, that is in line, rather, with the will of God. You will feel him kind of navigating you through your week, through your thoughts. And then he will take you to those things that he would want you to focus on. Number seven, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The person without the spirit, this is in the King James, the natural man, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. King James says because they're spiritually discerned. So then, how do we understand the things of God? His thoughts, his plans for us. We understand them by spiritual discernment, because without the spirit, these things may appear to the natural person as foolishness. But the man or woman guided by the Holy Spirit will discern the mind of God. You will know whether it is from God or not. You, you will have a sense that, you know, I may not be able to give you chapter and verse where this is found, but that ain't from God. Or, or the opposite is true. You might be able to say, well, I know where that is in the scripture and I can take you to the scripture and show you what the Bible says about this. And you should always do that in your, particularly in your conversation with, with unbelievers. You should always be ready and willing to be able to take them back to the scripture and show them what the scripture says. Or in some cases that the scripture does not say that, right? So I hope you all are kind of becoming stronger Bible students that you are, in fact. Um, and that's why I, 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 I intentionally give you so many scriptures in my, in my, in my um, teachings so that you can go back and rehearse and repeat and, and, and listen to it again. Brother Carlos does the, the podcast of this Bible study, and you can make sure you send him your information so that he can add you to the list so that... At a future time, you can just sit and listen to the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, next verse, Galatians 3.3. Here's this one. He says, are you, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Rhetorical, I know. But, but, but Paul is trying to say to the Galatians church, listen, you started pretty well. How is it that you're trying to finish up now in the world? What is that? Right? Our life in Christ on this earth, the beginning, the middle, and the end, is to be under the continual influence of the Holy Spirit. The flesh, our, our natural human nature, is incapable of accomplishing the will of God and the works of God in our flesh. So you, we begin our walk with the Lord by the new birth, by the Spirit. He took away our stony heart and put in his spirit a heart that is changed by the spirit. He gave us the mighty baptism with the spirit to empower our lives for ministry, to live for him. We are brought into a new realm of such spiritual manifestations and visions and dreams and even prophecies and other spiritual gifts, again, all by the Holy Spirit. We receive guidance from the Holy Spirit. We discern the things of God, not by natural means, but again, by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit brings us into our initial relationship with God through Jesus. 
that he continues to lead us, empower us, and reveal God's mind to us through our, uh, through our lives. And through him, the Holy Spirit, we can finish our lives on earth with victory and can look back on a well-lived, well-spent life under the Holy Spirit's daily control. So I ask you to make every effort daily, as the prophet, uh, the Apostle John says, uh, to be in the Spirit, Revelation 1 and 10, to be in touch with him, to be in harmony with him, to be sensitive to his voice, and to have our mind governed by the Spirit, Romans 8, 6. How can we achieve this? It's not that difficult, actually. What we need to do is to cultivate a lifestyle that is devoted to the Lord in his word. Read the Bible, study the Bible in our worship and prayer and praise services and, and in our holiness walk, right? Try to live according to what the scripture says. Do your best. If you make a mistake, quickly ask for forgiveness and get back to living for God. Do so and you will find yourself draw increasingly closer to the Lord who has been given to dwell in us and in us as born again children of God, as we draw closer and closer to him, you know, as I, I like to read that story of Enoch, the Bible says Enoch walked with God and then God finally said, come on, man, you can go to my house now, right? It, it gets to the point where you're so close to the Lord that you're closer to his house than you are to the one you left, okay? All right, so I'm almost done. I want to take you back to some of the Old Testament references. The Old Testament didn't so much talk about the infilling of the Holy Ghost that led and guided us through the, the, our thoughts and our minds. The Bible gives several examples how the Lord anointed his servants externally whenever he was calling them into service. The following example uh, in the life of David is one that I like. Samuel 16, uh, verses 12 and 13 says, quote, So he sent and had David brought in. This is, of course, Samuel the prophet going to Jesse, David's father's house, and says, God has told me that the new, the next king of Israel is in your household. And of course, you, you know the story, or you should, right? Jesse brings out his sons, and he parades them before the prophet. The prophet says, no, that's not him. Nope, 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 that's not him either. No, no, that's not him. Don't you have any other boys around here? And then he said, well, we got this the kid, the, the, the youngest one. He's he's out in, in the pasture with the, the sheep. And, and Samuel says, you need to go get him. The Bible says, so he sent and had David brought in. Verse number 12, he was ruddy and with a fine appearance. And the Bible says he had handsome features. Then the Lord said to the prophet, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil that he had brought and he anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, verse 13, from that day, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, the anointing spoke of a special action and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This, this David was the future king uh, of Israel, and he was anointed with oil by God's prophet. This was an outward expression. 
But what happened to David afterwards? The Bible says the power of the Holy Spirit came upon David outwardly to equip him for the work that God had set up for him. So the question concerning the Holy Spirit anointing uh, arises uh, from this anointing that, that the prophet uh, Samuel did. So why does God anoint us and empower us in this way? Second Corinthians one twenty one tells us now it is God who makes us both us and you to stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Verse 22. He set his seal of ownership upon us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. You remember that earnest money deposit I mentioned as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So if you're going to buy a house today, you need to tell the seller or your agent to tell the seller's agent that you have brought some money with you. It's called earnest money. And this money you're going to give to indicate to the seller that you're not playing around. You're serious about buying this house. It's called earnest money. And so that's what the Lord says here. The anointed us is a seal of ownership upon us. And when he put his spirit in our heart, it acts as a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. Now, let it be established that God anoints his people. He anointed King David, David, he anointed the Apostle Paul, he anointed me, he has anointed many of you and millions, millions upon millions from then until now to receive this Holy Ghost anointing. So, let me ask this question rhetorically. Since you're anointing, since you're anointing, what has God been stirring up in you to accomplish for the kingdom through the anointing that he gave you? This unction of the Holy Spirit, and to respectfully use a play on words, uh, what is the function of the unction of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that you received? Are you, are you, are you, are you responding to the the unction? Are you responding to the leading of the Spirit? Are you um, giving God an opportunity to guide you and lead you and take you into different places in Spirit so that you can be used of Him? And you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in, Je in Jerusalem. That means in your immediate vicinity, Judea next door, in Samaria, to your neighbors, foreigners, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Are you fulfilling your Holy Ghost calling? Are you witnessing? Is your life witnessing to your friends and neighbors and even your, even your families? Right? It gives us power to be witnesses. That's what Acts chapter number one um, tells us. And many Christians fear uh, this act of witnessing. I remember my grandmother, God rest her soul, Mother Drummond used to, uh, we used to live in the Bronx and it was two long blocks from uh, a very busy area where we call White Plains Road, where there were lots of people. And she, she used to make sure that she had a, a pocket full of what we used to call tracks. I don't even know if people still hand out tracks, but she would regularly 
regularly go down. Now, we're talking about a, an older woman in her late 60s, probably by then, um, to hand out tracks to everyone she meets. A little word, a little, a little, a little word that they would have when they're sitting on their train going to work and coming home from work. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are not powerless. There are no powerless Holy, Holy Spirit-filled Christians. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the anointing of God and having received your personal Pentecost, if you will, you have a responsibility to allow God to lead you and guide you into the work that he has called you to do. Amen. So, what does the anointing do in your life? It gives you power. That makes you a good witness. You live a life that's worthy of the calling. Uh, not by your ability, your temperament, not by your ability to speak well and clearly, but by the Spirit of God that enables you to minister, to live a life. Uh, have you ever been someplace and just because of uh, of how you carry yourself, someone comes up to you and says, hey, hey, are you a Christian? Just out of the blue. You know, maybe it's not even in church or near church. It's at work or some secular place. Uh, but they have had an, a moment to observe you and they'll come up to you and say, hey, hey, do you go to church? Maybe it's because how you're dressed as well. That's a witness. In Luke 4.18, the Bible says, Jesus said, listen, man, the spirit of God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach this gospel, this good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to relieve the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, so we have here in this verse of scripture, uh, several purposes of the Holy Spirit anointing that we can see the Holy Spirit actively uh, operating in our lives. One, enabling you to preach the good news effectively. The news we share about Jesus is good. That's why it's called the gospel. In fact, the gospel means good news. And that anointing will enable you to share it with impact and fervor and zeal and enthusiasm. Number two, to make you a spirit-filled messenger. Uh, a proclaimer, if you will, of freedom for prisoners, freedom from the prison of sin and drugs and depression and a life of habits that have you in bondage. Come on, somebody. Right. Number three, you're anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring recovery of sight for the blind, both physically blind and spiritual blind, as Jesus did. Not only healing, but other gifts of the Holy Spirit begin to flow from the powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. Number four, you're anointed to release the oppressed. All around you are people oppressed by sickness and disease and demonic attacks. You have a message from God that if properly received can release them and give them freedom. And finally, number five, you're anointed by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, a liberty and freedom to people 
that are currently ignorant of God's blessing, you can provide a comforting message of God's grace. Acts 10 and 37 says, you know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached? Verse 38, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. First John 2 and 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Verse 26, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. He writes, verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone else to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and has that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, please remain in him. Finally, a major importance of the anointing of the Holy Spirit is that it empowers us believers to, to hear, to discern, and hold to the truth that we have been given. This does not nullify the ministry of your pastor, your teachers, your Bible study teacher. Ephesians 4.11 tells us, rather the context is in verse 26, in contrast to false teachers. So, so if the Holy Spirit is active in your life, it will help you distinguish or to sort out those false teachings. Uh, for example, I've heard of the teachings of Islam uh, through Muhammad. I've read of the 6th century leader, uh, Siddhartha Gautama, who, who was the original Buddha from which we get the religion of Buddhism. I've read the teachings of Joseph Smith, uh, the founder of the LDS Church, Latter-day Saints. I've observed the Seventh-day Adventists, many other religious teachings. And as soon as I heard them, the essence of them, I was quickly able to discern that so much was missing from their teachings. The Holy Spirit enables you to sort out that which is of God and that which is not of God. The Lord pricks you in your heart and says, uh-uh, I'm not so, as my grandmother used to say, I have not so learned Christ. I have not so much learned Christ. So the anointing teaches you. So the believer is properly encouraged to read or study the Bible. The scriptures for him or herself. And as you do so, the Spirit of God will bring illumination and clarity to your life. And finally, in sum, we are anointed and infilled by the Holy Spirit for many important and powerful purposes. I went through the, some of these before. Number one, to be effective witnesses. Number two, to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Three, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, four, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, five, to release the oppressed, six, to proclaim the Lord's favor, seven, to be benefactors or doing good to needy people, eight, to break the devil's yoke of bondage in the lives of bound up people, and finally, to teach us and help us know God's truth versus error to be able to discern 
that which is of God and that which is not of God. Have you ever heard uh, a preacher preach or somebody teaching or listen to a tape somebody sent you and you go, what? That ain't in the Bible. That's the Holy Spirit causing you to be able to pick sense out of nonsense. Come on. Be able to tell that which is of God and that which is not of God. This is the, the, the reason why God gave us a spirit so that we, we will not be led into falsehood. We will not be led astray because uh, there are deceivers. The enemy is, the Bible says, that a deceiver. He's a liar. Just like he deceived Eve. He will try to take you away from that which he knows will save your soul. And so, so I encourage you, um, stay in the word, get yourself a good Bible, a good study Bible, and get yourself some good uh, um, uh, friends that you could study the Bible with, like we're doing tonight. And every once in a while, just get in the word and ask questions. I, I have a friend in New York that when I first got saved, really saved, um, I drove and so he didn't drive and I would take him home. Uh, it would be 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning. We would still be out there discussing the scriptures, chewing up the word and rehearsing it. You know, I ran into him the other day when I was in New York again and we reminded ourselves of those days when we'd be out two o'clock in the morning, sitting in my car, talking about the word of God. If you've never had an experience like that, oh man, uh, I, I encourage you to find a good friend that loves the word of God so that you can have someone to bounce the word of God off of. Is that what I heard? Brother Don taught this the other night. Did I hear that right? And you have someone to reason with. Come on, let us reason together, the writer tells us. Uh, let's reason with the word of God. And that's when it becomes a part of you. It is more than just words flowing over you. You inculcate it into your heart. It becomes a part of you. Then now you're able to teach it to somebody else. Amen. I hope this word. Amen. Thank you, Vicky. I hope this word has helped somebody out there tonight. I pray that the Lord has, uh, that I have said something that the Lord has quickened to your heart that gives you reason to go dig some more in your Bible. I encourage you enthusiastically. If I've said something that, that you want clarity on, send me a text. Let us know. Uh, give us some sense of how this word has helped you. And we will be so happy about that. That's all I have. That's all I have. Any questions? Any comments? Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.